I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 tonight. I'm going to release a word here that the Lord gave me last week. And uh, he's been speaking to me from this text for some time. But God said some things to me and showed me some things. And then, believe it or not, Jeremiah prophesied over me and gave me a word prior to when I was supposed to preach last week. And I didn't even get to preach. But um, I, uh, uh, he gave me a word specifically about the word I'm about to deliver here. So I really believe that God gave it for me first and foremost for you because I haven't had the opportunity to release this word yet where I felt like it was relevant, that it was time for it. So I believe this is a word from the Lord. But I, I want to release, if I can, to you something the Lord said to me when I was getting ready uh, to come here and to minister and to preach. So I want you to listen carefully. I believe this is a word of the Lord for this house. Sometimes when we use the word revival, because of our culture and the history of, uh, of what we know as revival, even as a student of real, of real historical spiritual revival, when you speak of the word revival, it has a tendency to throw your mindset into a place that it, it's temporary, that it's something that's not lasting, but it's something that is going to be uh, something that's going to happen for a season and then come to a close. And I don't want you to think what God is doing here in our Father's house is revival that is coming to an end. It's not a series of meetings that are going to happen here. What God said that is happening here is becoming the normal. It is becoming what, what God always intended for His house to be. Hello, somebody. And it's not going to be limited to the four walls of this building. It's something that's going to be activated in your life at all times. And you're not just going to be in revival. You're going to be revival. Now the people that come through the house that are going to receive from you, to them it's going to be revival. But to you it's going to be normal. It's not going to be limited to a special night. It's not going to be limited to a special service. It's going to be a part of, the, of our Father's house. It's going to be a part of the people that, that are here. That you're going to thrive in the fire of God. And it's going to become normal Christianity for you. Can I get an amen tonight if it bears witness with you? But religion now, I'm going to jump into my message. Religion has lied to us and told us that, that we can't live in the presence of God. It's taught us that we have visitations, but I need you to hear something tonight. God never intended you to live from one visitation to another. God intended for you to live in His presence. The reason that we don't preach it today is because it's very expensive. To live in His presence will cost you your life. To be able to live in His presence means taking up your cross every day becomes more than symbolisms and quotations of the Bible. It becomes a way of life for you. That dying in repentance and humility and hunger and pursuit and brokenness becomes who we are every day. It becomes what our heart longs for. That we begin to lose our hunger for ministry and embrace our hunger for Him. I need to say that 
that again. We need to lose our hunger for ministry and we need to gain our hunger for Him. Because if our hunger is right for Him, then ministry becomes secondary. But it becomes the byproduct and the fruit of pursuing Him. Because listen, the world has had enough of, of institutionalized Christianity's version of ministry. Our nation and our world don't need the ministry that the church has produced for the last 20 years. It needs the power of God. It needs more than programs. It needs more than events. It must have the life-changing power of what only God can produce. That the ministry of the church must become the life of Jesus. I need to say that again. That, that, that the ministry of the church needs to become the life of Jesus. Am I, am I in the right room tonight? Understanding that, that, that ministry is what Jesus did. He set the captives free. He healed the brokenhearted. Come on, you got to understand that, that, that He came to transform lives. He came to heal people that are broken and dysfunctional. He came to set every captive free. To cast out every devil. That is the work of the ministry. Hello somebody. Good works are great, but how about the works of Christ? And the only way that we'll ever produce the work of God is for God to live through us. Hello, somebody. That means we got to die to who we are and what we bring to the table. So in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible said, in, beginning in verse 16, the Bible said, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David the son, to his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of the parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. And Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and he left the sheep with a keeper. Everybody say, with a keeper. And he took it, he went as Jesse had commanded him. Who commanded him? Jesse, his dad. Everybody with me tonight. Uh, I need, there's just important things here that are, that are critical to, to making my point tonight. And the fact that Jesse asked him to go is very important. And he came, now watch this, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper. There we go again. He left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army, and he came, now watch this, and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and he spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. 
And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. Now watch this. Watch this. Very important. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why came us down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, the naughtiness of your heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I done? Is there not a cause? Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord tonight. And I thank you for the ability through your anointing to be able to speak and articulate this word in the way that you have revealed it unto me tonight. That, Father, every person in the sound of my voice tonight may be empowered and they may receive the revelation of your word that causes them to emerge for such an hour as this, God, to lay hold of everything that you have laid hold of them for, that, God, you were you are causing your body to rise. You are causing your church to emerge to the forefront of this world in which we live. Filled with chaos and filled, God, with uncertainties. But God, thank you for causing your church to rise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I, I, I need to lay some foundation before I get to the principles and the points of, uh, of the scripture that I read to you. First of all, most of you would know and understand that David has already been anointed to be king when this event has taken place that that the Bible says God sent the prophet Samuel down to Jesse's house to anoint one to be king because he had stripped Saul from the king from this kingdom from Saul so we find the Bible says that that Samuel comes down and Jesse lines up all of his sons and the Bible says that he passed before them and there was one being Eliab that was was basically bigger and strong and, and by stature and by, by his demeanor and by his looks and by that that he had been groomed to become he would be certainly the choice of even Samuel and those around him to be the next king but when he passed by them uh, the, the oil would not flow Samuel knew that none of these boys would be the king so he asked Jesse is there not another? I need you to understand something when God gets ready to bring you out of obscurity nobody's opinion of who you are is going to stop what God's going to do you got to have a revelation and an understanding of who God is that when God gets ready to bring you into your season there's no devil in hell that's going to stop it but you got to know your times and you got to know your seasons because if you run ahead of God, you'll end up in a place that you're not able to maintain the place that you open the doors to put yourself. Hello, somebody. we got to trust God to put us where we are supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. 
And the Bible says that he brought David up and he was anointed in front of all of his brothers to become the king of Israel. But we find in the text that David has gone back to tending the sheep and it was business as usual until his dad came to him and asked him if he would, would you please go and take this meal to your brothers? Are you following me? Would you take this and find out how well they're doing in the battle and check on the battle and how things are going? And he sent him with some bread and some food to be able to bring nourishment and strength to his brothers. But I wonder how many of us in this room today would be delayed in going and serving somebody that had an inferior anointing to ours. I wonder if sometimes that we are not so inflated by position and inflated by the goals of where God is taking us and how important that we may seem to be that we can't do the menial things that's, that are the perfect will of God. Because David was doing the will of God by doing what his father asked him. Because the Bible teaches us that the commandments of God is to honor our father and our mother. So David was doing the will of God until there was a further assignment and the will of God was to do what his dad asked him to do. Hello somebody, no matter how menial it was or no matter how less anointed his brothers were, he had the capacity to serve them even though he had the anointing of a king upon his life. Are, are you with me today? Because real servitude does not come out of who poured oil on you, but it comes out of your heart of humility. Oh, I, I need to preach. But there's a reason that the Bible says in the book of Acts, and I love this, if you look in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Bible said that after he had removed Saul, the Bible said he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. There is no greater testimony that any of us could have than to know that the end of our journey, the testimony of God toward us, is that we were a person after God's own heart. I want to say that again, that we are a person after God's own heart. That was after moral failure. That was after murder. That was after many uh, disappointing uh, moments that, that were caused by David's uh, uh, inadequacies and insufficiencies and even disobedience at the moment. But the truth is he found mercy from God. And, and, he, and, he, and he died with the testimony that he was a man after God's own heart. But what we don't preach is why he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart because he did all the Lord asked him. I'm going to say it again. He did all the Lord asked him. Did he, did he fail? Yes, he failed. But if you read the repentant prayer of David when he was confronted by the prophet about his sin, he wasn't concerned about the opinions of anyone else. He said, God against you and you alone have I sinned. There was something about David's transparency with God that we need to examine. We need to recognize his intimacy with God so that when he came out of the delusion of his sin, the only thing that mattered was God himself. Amen. And his prayer was, not only against you and you alone have I sinned, but his prayer was, God, take not thy spirit from me. Because the most precious thing that David had in his life was the presence of the Lord. 
Well, I'm going to say it again. The most precious thing he had in his life was the presence of the Lord. The most precious thing he had was his intimacy with God. And sometimes we neglect the most important relationship we have in our life. David was a man who developed intimacy with God. Because in the times that he was on the backside of the desert tending sheep, you understand that he was having intimacy with God. He was learning the character and the nature of God that he could pin things such as the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want as long as he's leading me. I'm not in anxiousness. I'm, I, I'm not in a place of stress. As long as he's leading me, I don't have desires that I don't need to have. Because as long as he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He knew that he was the answer to discontentments in his life. He knew he was the answer to bring fulfillment and contentment in his life. And he said, as long as I'm walking with the shepherd, I shall not want. And he said, not only that, but he said, the Lord is my provider because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He began to understand the character of who God was. He didn't know about God, but he knew the nature of who God is. I need to preach in here because the promises of God are only as good as you having the revelation of the character of who He is. Because you can know His promises, but if you don't know His character, then you're not certain that in the middle of your mess is He going to be God in your life. I'm going to say that again. That's why it's not enough for you to know about God. you got to know God. Because if you don't know God, then you'll begin to question God when you need to have faith. Because it takes knowing the character of God and knowing who He is and not knowing about Him. And just because you quote Scripture don't mean you know who He is. And the problem is we think because I've gone to church for 10 years and I can quote some Bible and I can do ministry, I know who God is. But there's a difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. Because listen, you don't have confidence in who you don't know. And David had spent years in the wilderness knowing who God was. And you can find it through the Psalms. And, and not only that, but you can find it in the character of who he is. Because David was a worshiper and David was a praiser. He had access to the presence of God that would have killed anybody else. Yeah, you should read your Bible. He, he walked right into the place that other men couldn't walk because he had intimacy with God. Uh, I get wound up and excited, but I, I want to teach for a minute because this is very important. Because what you need to understand, that worship is not the result of a great praise team. Worship is not the result of a great, of, of a great praise team. Hello, somebody. Praise is not the result of a, great, of a great praise team. Hello, somebody. Praise is not the results of you getting a $15 an hour raise and you give God the credit for it. Because real worship and real praise comes out of result of the revelation of who God really is. Because listen, if you, if you have a revelation of God, then your praise and your worship is not circumstantial. It becomes what you do all the time. No matter what your circumstances are, you will still worship Him. You don't need a praise team to worship Him. You will get your worship on in the car, in your living room, in the bedroom, because it comes out of the revelation of who He is that what provokes the angels and the 24 elders and the four beasts in heaven to bow down night and day and cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, if somebody's having to coerce you into worship, 
you don't know who he is. I love you, but you don't have the revelation of who he is. You see, because it's the greatness of who he is that brings me to my knees. It is the greatness of who he is that in the middle of my troubles and in the middle of my, 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 my dilemmas, I worship him because the identity of who he is never changes based on my situation. Wow. Somebody say the revelation of who he is. It's not just a knowledge about who he is, but knowing the person of God. And the challenge is his religion taught us we couldn't know him. When somebody talks about intimacy with God, well, his ways are higher than your ways. Uh oh, there you go. But in the New Testament, my Bible said I had the mind of Christ. So there's a whole lot of difference between his ways being higher than my ways and having the mind of Christ. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we have the capacity to know who He is. You want to know why Moses could lead a million people out of the bondage of Egypt? Because he wanted more than the blessings of God. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me thy ways. When we've got a hunger for the ways of God, and we've got a hunger for the glory which is the attributes of God, then something begins to shift in our life. And all of a sudden, faith begins to emerge. Not because I read a scripture and it was a promise, but because I knew the author and the character and the faithfulness. I woke up with him this morning. I had a talk with him about 10 a.m. this morning. Come on, I talked with him at lunchtime today. And I'm not talking about bless my chicken sandwich. I'm talking about having conversations with God Almighty. Not conversations that are one-sided. That God, I need some help with my car payment today. But I'm talking about having the God and the Creator of heaven and earth talk back to you. Because real faith doesn't come just by reading the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of the Lord. It means when I have the capacity to hear the voice of my Creator. Woo! As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Hello, somebody. If you can't be led by who you can't hear. I'm going to say it again. You can't be led by who you can't hear. Can, can, I, can I teach on just a minute? He said... In the wilderness, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you understand? David spent time in a position where he could hear God. We all want to move of God, but we don't want to make room for God in our lives. We want to come to church and somebody else create a move of God that we get to partake of. Uh oh, mm -mm. But see, the Bible didn't say out of your bishop and out of your pastor's belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Bible said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Come on, it was never about the, the hierarchy ministry producing revival. It was about every one of us producing the living water. The challenge that we have producing that. I need you to hear me, church, because we quote it as if we're doing it when in fact we're not doing it. The ability has been given there for you and I to produce living water. The ability has been given to you and I that we should be able to walk in a room and people go, I perceive you've been with Jesus. 
The capacity has been given to you and I that we can wear the glory of our God. That's what the Bible said Jesus prayed in John 17. That we carry His presence. That we carry His attributes. We carry His glory. That we do the works that He did and it should not be what we're chasing. It should be what's following us. The Bible said these signs shall follow those that believe. Are y'all with me today? didn't say I had to chase them. It said they ought to be following me. But why are they not following us? Why are there not rivers coming out of our life? Because so much we don't make time for God in our life. We don't make time to hear His voice. We don't have time. If we're going to be a person after God's own heart, it's not talking about how many tears you shed in an altar. But that title was given Him because He did all that God asked Him to do. Somebody say all. That means He was, he was capable of hearing the voice of God. To hear the voice of God, you've got to put yourself in a place to hear the voice of God. David's, David's testimony, and he wrote about the secret place of the Most High God. And I'm afraid that there's too many of us that, that we make church the secret place. We go to church to get filled. We go to church to get touched. But by God, when will you create that same environment in your home and in your family because you know how to go into the secret place and commune with God for yourself and be in worship with God in the middle of your crisis at home. In the middle of all the pressures of soccer practice and all the pressures of, of, of having to work a double shift and all the pressures of having to work a second job to make the, to make the, the house payment. And in the pressures of, of the iPhones and social media and, and messenger and, and Instagram and all of the things that pull on our lives every day that are realities of things that are in front of us. But we choose to understand how important He is and make room for God in our lives every day. To make room to dwell in the secret place. Because every challenge you have in your life today, God is the answer. But we want God to be like a genie. I, I, I pray three prayers. We rub, the, we, rub the, we rub the lamp three times and the genie pops out. And He gives us whatever we ask for. That ain't the way God works. God works out of intimacy. I'm going to say it again. God works out of intimacy. There's something required on our part. The New Testament called it hunger. The New Testament called it seeking. The New Testament called it knocking. Blessed are the, those that hunger and thirst. That God, I'm coming for you. I'm after you. I'm not going to settle for just status quo Christianity. God, I'm coming for your presence. Because where there's hunger, I promise you He'll show up. I guarantee you that where there is a dying sacrifice on an altar, He'll show up. Where there's dead flesh on a prayer altar, in a secret place, in a prayer closet, God will show up. Where there's humility, God will show up. Where there's brokenness, God will show up. David was willful after being anointed to take on the task of taking a lunch to his brother. I want you to go with me for just a minute. And the reason that he could serve his brothers 
that had less of a calling and less of anointing. And because he could honor his father, and he never minimized tending sheep in the desert, was because David was not drunk on the prophecy of being a king. David never married the prophecy. He was married to the author of the prophecy. I need to talk for just a minute. There's too many of us that married our prophecies. And we have abandoned the giver of the prophecy. And we have made the prophecy our God. And we've made the vision our God. And we pursued the vision and we pursued the prophecy while we abandoned the God of the prophecy and the God of the vision. And the reason that I know that David never abandoned it is because David never done one thing in his lifetime to bring to pass his becoming the king of Israel. David would not kill Saul. David would not fight. He, and when the, even when the kingdom, the fulfillment of the prophecy was stripped from him by his son Absalom who betrayed him, David would not lift one finger to take the kingdom back. Because the difference was is that David knew the author of the prophecy. And he knew that if God gave it to him and the prophecy was from the God, then God would bring the prophecy to pass if he would honor the God of the prophecy. Ah. But when we don't honor God and when we don't walk in intimacy with God, but we substitute chasing the vision and chasing the ministry and chasing the prophecy, then we lose our intimacy with God. And when you lose your intimacy with God, you lose certain things and all of a sudden everything is a stepping stone instead of a life that honors obedience to God. Uh-oh. Come on, so David took the assignment of taking the lunch to his brothers. And the Bible says that when he left the sheep, the Bible says that he left the sheep with a keeper. Can I tell you, when you love your prophecy and you love your vision more than you love God, then every place you ever served up until the fulfillment of that will be only a stepping stone to you. But people that, that serve God don't look at where they are as a stepping stone. They look at it as the opportunity to please the one who gave them the assignment. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Because he didn't abandon the sheep for the next assignment. He left the sheep with a keeper. And listen, when you are in ministry for the right reasons, you will make sure that whatever your ministry is, is taken care of because you wasn't doing it as a stepping stone into a higher place. You were doing it in obedience to the one who you serve. But there's no honor and respect to ministries when ministry that you're doing is, is the stepping stone to the next fulfillment of your vision. Oh, wow. That's why the first door that opens up for a better ministry, you just leave that children's ministry in shambles. You walk out and never leave it in the hands of somebody who's capable. Because you never really cared for them anyway. You just cared for an opportunity that equipped you for a better day. But see, when you're serving God, whatever assignment you have is just as valuable as the one that is the fulfillment of the greatest prophecy. Ah. 
I hope I'm able to articulate this tonight. Because people walk away from assignments all the time. That was the place that God put them for that season. I hear the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that when he, not only when he left, the Bible said that he got off the carriage. Everybody say the carriage. And he left the carriage in the hands of the keeper. In other words, the things that God gave him to be able to fulfill the task that he had at hand, which by the way was not a task that was spoken directly of the Father. It was a task spoken by his daddy, Jesse. Can I, can I, can I preach just a minute? Before you get your direct orders from God, you may be getting your direct orders from God through an earthen vessel that's called spiritual authority. And if you can't serve the spiritual authority that God sets in your life with cheerfulness and joy and not looking at it as begrudgingly trying to, trying to butter Him up so you get a better position. But understanding that that service is my service unto God. Honor thy father and thy mother. Daddy forgot him on the backside of a desert when he lined up all the other brothers. But he served him without complaint. Y'all don't want to hear me preach today. Oh, well, I don't have to serve them. They overlooked me. They've not done me right. And, and listen, you got to understand that even in the life of Saul, God had stripped the kingdom from Saul. God had taken his anointing off of him. But yet David would not touch him one time to bring the past to fulfillment of the prophecy. He was not a chaser of the ministry. He was not a chaser of what of, of, of his ideas and his hopes and his dreams of the fulfillment of this prophecy. But he was the pursuer of honoring the God that he had developed deep intimacy with. To the point if daddy asked me to go take a lunch, I'm going to go take the lunch. And I'm going to make sure the sheep are taken care of. I'm going to make sure that my last assignment is overseen and well taken care of. That those sheep are going to be just as safe in somebody's hands as they would have been my own. And when I get off my carriage, the tools, the money, the resources, the, the instruments that He's given me to fulfill the assignment, I'm going to make sure that I've taken care of the resources. In other words, to people that are pursuers of ministry and, 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 and vision and prophecies without being the pursuer of the God of the prophecy. I need you to hear this today. We will mishandle money. We won't understand that money is for the purpose of the assignment and therefore we will neglect it, never honor and never respect it. When you have people that don't respect the tools and the resources that God gives them, then what they end up doing is turning everything into merchandise that's unappreciated. Including people. That no longer do you see the importance of people. You see them as only a tool to get you where you need to go. But see, when you honor the tools, even, even if it's people that God puts in your life, to help you and to assist you and to bless you. That when you're serving God, you will never dishonor them, but you will make sure that they are taken care of even in your absence. Amen. 
body to teach in here tonight. Is this okay? I, I have a word. I need, you, I need you to go with me for just a minute. I'm about done, but I need you to go with me just a minute. And the Bible says that when he finally arrived, and he gets to the place, the Bible says that he gets off of the carriage. And he goes immediately to where the heat of the battle is. And the Bible said he salutes his brothers. Everybody say honor. You understand that when he saluted them, he was honoring them. And see, when I'm the pursuer of a vision, and the pursuer of the promise, and I'm not the pursue in the pursuit and in intimacy with the one who gave me the word. In other words, I divorced God and I married my vision. And when you marry your vision, you don't honor people, you're in competition with them. You're always looking at those that are a threat to you. You're always looking at those that they're not as good as you. You're more qualified. You can do it better than they can. I need to teach in here tonight. And that's why the body of Christ is in the shape it's in right now. It's because we've married our prophecies. And we've walked away from the intimacy and the love of the giver of the prophecy. And we've worshipped the prophecy and we've worshipped the vision. And we become masters at casting vision. If you could cast your vision, or better yet, if you could cast Jesus as good as you can cast your vision, our nation would change. We become masters at casting visions. But we have neglected selling and giving away and casting the vision of who Christ really is. Because we've sold our vision for ministry. Because we're drunk on our prophecies. And we're drunk on our visions. And we have failed to be in love with the giver. Because when you're in love with God, you don't violate His principles. People are not merchandise to you. You honor one another. You honor other leaders. You honor other ministries. I need to teach in here today. You don't sow dishonor. You don't see the church down the road as your competitors. You see them as those, even though they may not have the gifts you've got. They may not have the power you've got. They may not have some of the things that you have. The truth is, I'm honoring every person that is around me, regardless of how anointed I am, or how fearful and cowardly they are. Wow. He never attacked the armies of Israel. He never made them the problem. He never got his sight off what the real battle was. Because we have fallen in love with the idea of ministry and the idea of who God's going to make us to be. Instead of falling in love with the image and the understanding and the revelation of who He is. And because of that, are you hearing me today, church? Because we've done that, here's what we have done. We have not honored the things that, that God has and we violated ministerial ethics and we violated the Word of God. And we have labored so earnestly hard to bring to pass the, 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 the idea of ministry that we have. That we've not let the only one who has the capacity to bring them to pass do his job. And the word of the Lord that I heard, and I need you to hear this, 
It's the reason that we've raised up a generation that is chasing prophecies. And guys, I need you to understand something. I operate in that realm. And I love the Word of the Lord. And I love prophecy. And I would never despise prophecy. But when you got a generation of people that are chasing the, 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 the next 27th prophecy, when they got 26 of them that hadn't come to pass, there's something wrong. And the reason that the other 26 never came to pass is, is because He can't trust you with a prophecy. We become drunk on what's coming instead of being in love with Him right where we are. The Bible says that Eliab began to make fun of David. And he started by minimizing where's those few sheep at. Then he challenged, he said, the naughtiness of your heart. He challenged David's motives for asking questions as to why this Philistine is, is, is defying the armies of God. Because he's the only one, watch this, he's the only one that sees the reputation of God at stake. He didn't see the dangers of the battle. He saw the reputation of God being challenged. Because his importance was not the his importance was was God, not not just the Philistines, but that they are defying the armies of God. And Elia began to mock him, diminish him. And I wonder how many of us that when somebody starts minimizing that class of three that we have, you don't have a thousand people in your church. They begin to bring out how unsuccessful you are. And they begin to minimize the assignment that you're insecure with already. Because you don't have a thousand people. Because you don't have 27 in that home group. Hello somebody. Because only four showed up at your prayer meeting. And you're already feeling insecure about it. Because maybe the reason you're feeling insecure about it is because you're drunk on where you're going instead of being in love with the God who has you where you are. And therefore, people are able to move you from the assignment that you're called to the next season that God wants to move you into because instead of fighting Goliath, now you're fighting Eliab. I will say that again. Instead of fighting Goliath, you're fighting the people that are, are making fun of you and you're working to try to overcome the people that don't see you as their equal, but they see you as less successful. Wow. Wow. And if that's not enough, then the people that actually attack you for your obedience and they attack you for your faithfulness, 
You begin to try to defend yourself instead of killing Goliath and restoring the honor of Israel. You're fighting with the people that are attacking you and you're fighting the wrong battles because you're trying to defend your identity. And you're trying to defend why you're not where you think you ought to be yet. Instead of trusting the God who gave you the word. That if God gave it to me, God's going to bring it to pass. There may be opposition and there may be people challenging me. And I may only have a few sheep. But I know the oil flowed on the day he declared that I would become the king. And I'll, I'll find the, the ending of this message. Quickly, right now. This is a little different. Y'all don't see this side of me very often. But this is a word for the body of Christ. And I want to close with this. When I got saved in 1990 church, I had no church history except for Easter and Christmas. I was sprinkled as a Methodist. I was baptized as a Baptist and eventually baptized as non-denominational. But I had no concept of who God was. I believed in Jesus, but I'd never been born again. On September 2nd, 1990, as a radical drug addict, a drug dealer, womanizer, gun runner, I could give you, I could give you a whole list of the, of, the, of the bad things of who I was and what I did, but on September 2nd, 1990, in a suicidal state of out-of-control rage, Jesus saved me in my living room. I had an amazing encounter with the God that I couldn't see and that I couldn't feel and wasn't even sure if I believed in Him anymore. And He changed my life that night. And He brought me out of addiction and He brought me out of bondage. He changed my language. He changed my love. He changed how I treated people. He changed my, my perception. Every dynamic of my life changed. I need you to understand something. You will never love God until you have first let Him love you. And that love is not something I can preach to you. It has to be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. We can confess we love God, but if you love God, you'll live for Him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Amen. And God absolutely transformed my life. And I began that, that moment of my life doing everything I could within my power to live for Him and to know Him. Because it so radically changed my life. I seen no fireworks. I felt nothing emotional. But when I woke up the next morning, I was a brand new man. And I lived every day. I, I went to church that next Sunday morning. I had pictures in my phone. I could show you the first day back at church with a mullet down to here. And a gold chain and a big nugget hanging off of it. I took my little girl and my, and my wife who had left me and came home that day before that Sunday and we piled up and I put on my best shirt that was poking out like that because it was too small. I didn't wear a dress shirt. And I took my family to church and I ran to that altar. And I got up in front of that congregation and I told them that day that I'd been running from God since I was a little boy and I wasn't running no more. That from that moment forward I would live for Him. I didn't understand what had happened but I knew there was a call in my life. I never got up out of the altar and made it back to my pew before the deacons had me in the back room and told me, boy, you'll never preach the gospel. 
I was never moved by it. From that day forward, I was ostracized by my, my, my family. I was made fun of by every friend I ever had. Every person that I'd ever known in my life walked away from me. And what I thought would become healing to my marriage became a bigger problem than my womanizing and my drug addictions. You say, why? Because when you've got a family that's been raised in religion, they don't understand somebody who gets radically sold out to God. Because they think they're Christians when in fact they're not. And then when somebody who really gets saved and really gets on fire and really starts living for God, it makes their lukewarm complacency feel really uncomfortable. So therefore, the people that ought to be glad you ain't on drugs and you ain't snorting dope and sleeping with a different woman every night hate you because you're on fire for God. And I lived my life sold out to Him. I lived my life to only do one thing, obey Him. I drug trailers into the housing projects and stood on old hay trailers and I would preach to empty chairs every Saturday night. For two years I preached to empty chairs in the projects because God told me to go to the projects and preach. God told me to buy tents. I went out and bought me a tent and I put the tent up and five people come but I would preach to five people like it was 5,000. And I would do whatever God asked me to do. And my wife would come home and she'd say, have you lost your mind? Because she'd come home and our whole garage would be full of chairs. I'd go buy from a, from a, from a junk distributor old rusted out metal chairs. She'd come home one day, there's a sound system in the living room. She'd come home one day and there's a tent on her side of the garage and she can't get the car in. Where she used to come home to new bass boats and she used to come home to new Corvettes and she used to come home to motorcycles and all kind of toys. Now she's coming home and there's all kind of stuff that she don't even identify with. But in the process of it, my wife gets radically saved. And we radically serve God. Now here's where the story begins. And God honored it. I got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Church Because too many people got saved. And some blue haired lady stood up in the middle of a business meeting on a Wednesday night. And she said, we just don't like our church anymore. We've lost control of it. All these new people have taken over because they vote on everything. And my journey began to regress as a Baptist pastor. I took my tent and I put it up across from the largest bar in our region. I would start out of that tent meeting a church called World Harvest Church. I would start it in a basement in the middle of nowhere. And God would breathe on that obedience of that boy that wanted to do nothing but please God. And I'm going to put this in a nutshell quickly. I, I give you my word. And that little church in that basement grew and it grew and it grew. Until that church alone grew to well over a thousand people. And out of that church, we planted six other churches with the smallest of those churches being 400. And that ministry grew till we were doing crusades all over the world. We were doing medical outreaches and we were shipping containers full of medical supplies, medical equipment. We were shipping Bibles all over the country. 
We were ministering everywhere. I was preaching to 64 million people a day when I walked away. All from a redneck country boy that was a drug addict and an alcoholic that got radically saved, that fell in love with Jesus and lived every day one day at a time. But in the process of all that growth, all of a sudden preachers that never knew my name were calling me on the phone wanting to know, how did this happen? They're calling me wanting to come by and sit down and have lunch with me. I've never had a pastor friend in my life. I had a spiritual father, but I had no friends. And now all of a sudden they're wanting to take me to lunch. Now all of a sudden we got pastors that have quit pastoring their church and they're wanting to be on staff at our church. They're wanting to come along and help me. Now all of a sudden I got people telling me, well, this is how you do it, Bishop, and this is what you do. And all of a sudden now I find myself doing gimmicks and programs and I'm casting the vision and I'm 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 I'm, I'm I've... let me just tell you where it took me. I had a 3,500 square foot office that was as big as this sanctuary, or bigger. On one side was a board, re- a board room that had about 25 chairs at it, a coffee bar, frosted glass windows that betrayed a, a beautiful river coming down the frosted glass, and beneath it was a huge waterfall, literal waterfall with a big executive's desk and the most beautiful of furnitures at the side. Every Sunday I'd get in my helicopter and I'd fly from campus to campus and I would preach week after week. Thousands of people. Media, million dollar television studio. All of the things that anybody could ever ask for. TBN called us regularly. We need to send just a team. We want you to... We want to come host a praise the Lord show at your church. Your staff is so phenomenal and your people are so great. And Every major speaker that I could tell you graced our pulpits. And it was the who's who of what people called in, in, in 2008 successful ministry. But I need you to hear this. Somewhere between that young boy that started in that basement that started in that Baptist church that started as a young boy hungry I became defiled hanging in the middle of that elaborate office was a prophecy given me by one of the most renowned prophets in the, in the world and it was hanging in the middle of my office because it said everything that I ever believed that God was going to do in my life That prophecy had dates in it as it related to my age. And the fulfillment of that prophecy would be when I was in my 40s. I'm 56. And not one of them ever came to pass. Because nothing was ever big enough. Nothing was ever good enough. The numbers were never enough. I lived from one emotional high when the crowds were big, when the numbers were great, when the offerings were well, 
to going into depression and wanting to quit the ministry when the numbers were down. When the offerings were down. When the budgets were tight. And I lived from one high to one low. And no longer did I find joy in my worship. Because if the worship wasn't good enough and the people didn't engage enough, we failed. And I spent my time hiring the next best worship leaders and the next greatest and the next greatest children's pastors. And we were shifting staff to gain more numbers. And we were living for the numbers. And we were, we were, we were working toward enlarging every ministry in the house. I don't have time to go into the details of every bit of that. But I need you to hear my testimony tonight. And in 2008, I was the most miserable human being on the face of the planet. I was a leader of one of the fastest growing ministries. You understand, I pastored a church of over a thousand people in a town of 500 people. The one location was double the size of our city. And every church we had was successful. Two massive rehab centers. One with over a hundred beds for men alone. My best friend was the largest Pentecostal charismatic publishing company in the world. And I considered him my spiritual father. I slept in his home. I played golf with him at least once a month. We talked on the telephone every day. And I was miserable. Because there was something absent that had been the key to every great thing that had ever been in my life. I had fallen in love with the prophecies and the idea of where I was going. And I had lost sight my first love and in 2008 after one year of God rattling my cage every time I walked in that pulpit and God would say to me son if you don't have all these people will you still serve me God son if you don't have all these churches will you still serve me son if you don't have all this broadcast equipment and you can't preach to all these people every week will you still serve me Son, if you don't have that helicopter, will you still serve me? And my answer was always yes. And in June of 2008, I walked away from every bit of it. And I left. And I would begin a journey from 2008 to 2015 while God killed me. Graveyard dead. He took everything that I ever had. All my money. All my my property, my home, my cars. My wife and I were in our living room begging God for enough money to buy our two children a McDonald's hamburger at the dollar menu. Every person that ever knew me thought I was in prison for embezzling money. They thought I was in a drug hab in Colorado. They thought I had sold the churches out from under the congregations because that's what they wrote about in the newspaper. And then when they found out it was a lie because the churches called them, they wrote a retraction that was less than a quarter of an inch wide on the back page. 
So everywhere we went, I had to hang my head because somebody was talking and somebody's finger was pointing. And somebody was ripping apart my children. And we were reading blogs on the internet about our kids and about our marriage. And no reputation was left and no reason or rhyme for life was gone. It was out. And I was done. Done. And because of four men of God that loved me and my wife and ran to my side and poured into us and loved us, it kept me out of backsliding. And it kept me out of letting anger and resentment and bitterness destroy us. Because all of the things they said were fabricated lies. And we were crushed. And every friend that I thought was my friend, I need you to hear what I'm telling you. Pastors that we gave $50,000 to in offerings wouldn't even answer my phone call. People I thought that would be our friends till the day we drew our last breath to this very day won't even talk to me. My best friend who was in my wheel to preach my funeral showed up at my church the week after I resigned trying to buy all of our broadcast equipment. He never picked up the phone and said, Lance, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? Why'd you resign? Not one time did he ever ask me, how your wife's doing? I need you to hear this testimony. I died. But four men that poured into my life told me, Bishop, God's not done with you. God's not done with you. We know you're broke. We know you're hurting. We know you've been through stuff. We know you're still wounded and praying, but God's not done with you. And it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to quit crying. It's time for you to quit being a victim. It's time for you to get up and be who God called you to be. And me and my wife pulled ourselves up the best we could by the bootstraps. And we began to pioneer a small work. And we just began to heal and get whole again and love people to the best of our ability. And we begin to preach because sometimes when you're called, you can't walk away from it because it don't leave you. But what I would spend the rest of my time doing was falling back in love with Jesus again. Until there developed in me a hunger and a passion and a desire to know Him like I'd never known Him before. To be in His presence because I believed that I could live in His presence. Because I quit living under the traditions of men and I began to go after God and I began to pray and I began to get on my face and I began to embrace my brokenness and my, and my, and my, and my no reputation. I began to not care what other people thought because they would come to my church and I had 20 people in my church and they would come to my church and we had 30 people in our church and they would come to their church and they'd say, Bishop, this don't look like you. Your buildings are supposed to be huge. Why are you doing it in this little bitty building? Sound systems that were inadequate that fed back all the time and $20 microphones when you'd been used to holding a $3,700 microphone. And I'll take 20 people in a podunk church Sold out in love with Jesus. 
Because what changed in Lance Johnson is I quit building a ministry and I started building people. And instead of leading people to the fulfillment of my vision, I started leading them to the fulfillment of God for their life that they be created in the image of Jesus. And instead of building ministry, I started building people. And to build people, I had to speak the truth, not what they wanted to hear. To build people, I had to have the presence of God in my life so that they could, they could have the presence of God in their life. I had to model it for them so they could see it. And I didn't care if nobody showed up for my prayer meetings. I'm going. I didn't have somebody heading up my intercessory prayer department. I became the head intercessor. Can I tell you that so many people miss revival and they miss the awakening of God because they shut it down because only three people showed up. Do you understand that every major revival that turned our nation and the world upside down did not start with mass people at a prayer meeting. It started with one or two or three hungry people. And those one or two sold out radically pursuing God would create a move of God that would change nations. Heberty started with two old women praying. Didn't even start with a superstar preacher. Two old women praying. And God would turn a whole island upside down. But when you serve God, you don't serve numbers. When you serve God, it doesn't matter if one shows up or two shows up. I'm just as faithful with the two as I'm going to be with the 10,000. Because I ain't doing this for where I'm going. I'm doing it out of obedience to Him. Because my heart has moved from serving ministry to serving the King. And there's honor, respect, loyalty, integrity, character. And the results of what God can do is 10,000 times greater than what you can do in your own strength. I want you to stand with me all over the house. This is not my normal fiery style of preaching. And I realize I went over by about 15 minutes and I'm, I know you got kids to get in the bed. I understand that. But I need you to hear what I, 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 I need to share with our Father's house. God's looking for somebody to fall in love with. God's looking for somebody that's going to go after Him with every fiber of who they are. God's looking for somebody that will lay down everything that they are and everything that they have and say, God, I am at Your disposal. Not for where You're taking me, but for who You are. I'm coming after You, Lord. I need You. I don't need You for what You're going to do for me. I need You. I need your presence because my times of refreshing doesn't come from a larger ministry and greater achievements. I didn't tell you the personal side of that testimony of going from having everything we wanted to having nothing. My kids went from campers and boats and motorhomes and motorcycles and four-wheelers and side-by-sides 
submit. To playing Monopoly on a raggedy old Monopoly board with mom and dad in the floor. I hadn't told you the other side of the story and I'm not. But you ought to know the testimony that comes behind falling in love with Jesus again. Because I promise you there's nowhere I've ever been and nothing I've ever had and nothing I've ever been able to partake of that I would trade for where I am right now. And nothing I've ever had can come close to having what I have today. I'm not talking about numerical dollars. Mm -mm. I'm not talking about the size of our ministry. I would take nothing for where I am today. Nothing. Because what I have today is I've ceased from my labors. And His labors have begun. And I rest in His faithfulness every day. I don't have high highs and low lows depending on how many people showed up. I don't plan ministry in the future based on the number of people there. I don't calculate budgets to determine whether I'll have enough money. Because if God said do it, it's there. Because I'm not pushing for my prophecies. We build over $250,000 worth of expansions on our buildings in the last three years. And I've never taken offering in my church for those expansions. Not one. I've told the people, this is what we're doing. I've never had a capital funds campaign. Fortune 500 companies write us checks. Not because I called them. Because they called and said, hey, would you stop by our offices today, Bishop? We just felt God wanted us to donate this to your church. Radical checks from inheritances from people that don't even go to our church. Bishop, we love you. We thank God that you never quit. And everything's paid for. And when it snows in North Georgia, my wife and Hank and I aren't down beside the bed praying, God, God, please don't let it snow. Because when we lose a whole week's budget because of a snow day, because in Georgia they don't drive like they do in Indiana. You hear me? We're about our task and our Father's business. I'm calling a generation of people to go after God tonight. I'm calling you to go after God every day of your life like you did in that altar just a few minutes ago. I'm asking you as a church to push your agendas aside and work together as a body of believers to go after the heart of God through brokenness. To divorce, divorce the chasing of ministry and prophecies and get married to Jesus again. To quit going after God for what God can do for you, but go after His face. Because I promise you, when you get the fire in His eyes, you're going to have the fire in your heart. When you behold the face of Him, the image of His face will be reflected in the image of your character. And ministry will be the outflow 
of the intimacy of your secret place. So I'm challenging the people tonight with an unemotional message to go after God tonight with every fiber of who you are. Taylor, would you mind giving just a moment? How many of you in this room would say, Bishop, that message resonates in my heart. I'm hungry. I want what's real. I want Him. And I want Him for the right reasons. I want to be a David of my generation. I want to be a man after God's own heart. That I don't have to steal a throne. I'm going to let God put me on the throne, whatever that looks like, that He's prepared for. I'm going to be able to honor the people that dishonor me and not have them keep me up at night because they belittle me and talk about me and they don't think I'm good enough or I don't measure up to their standard or my ministry ain't as large as theirs is. That's bondage. But I'm full of joy serving God right here where I am. I pastor a church in the middle of Ranger, Georgia. Population 109. And it's just blowing up. I'm never there. I tell them, I'm not a pastor. I'm horrible. But they just come. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they come from. But their lives are getting changed every week. Not because I'm a great preacher. Not because we've got the greatest worship team in the world. But because the presence of God is there. Because there's a people that are going after Him for Him. But it didn't start with that church. It started with me. Revival doesn't start with this church. It starts with you. I'm calling you to a place of brokenness tonight. I'm calling you to an altar to die tonight. I'm calling you to a place of surrender. Not that nobody made you go but that you willfully came and said, God, I give you my life. If that's you, I want you to come. I want you to join me right here. I want to pray over you as you pray, as you go after the face of God tonight, as you cry out to Him in desperation, God, I'm coming for you. As the weepers weep and the travailers travail, as the mourners mourn for the longing of the King. Come on, I challenge you to cry out tonight. I challenge you to press past your emotions in a place of desperation. God, we need you tonight. God, we need your face tonight. God, thank you for humility and brokenness, Lord. God, we repent tonight. We repent for chasing ministry. We, we repent, God, for loving the prophecy more than we love you. 
for loving the vision of ministry more than we love you for chasing after ministry and not chasing after you God we repent tonight we repent that we did not lay our lives down we repent for holding back portions but yet saying we gave you everything God have mercy cleanse us tonight purge our hearts of everything that would hinder us from dwelling in the secret place whatever would quench your spirit God tonight I ask you remove it from us whatever stands in the way of us knowing you on the most intimate levels God cleanse us tonight may the Holy Spirit dig dig into the crevices of our life and pull out expose and bring to the surface everything that is a weight and a hindrance Father, remove the weights. Let them fall off. Every man and every woman in this altar tonight, every man and woman in this room, every weight come off in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for sincere, pure, transparent hearts tonight, God. All over this building tonight, God, transparency honesty and sincerity God as we come for your face tonight Lord as we cry out for you tonight come on I challenge you cry out tonight I challenge you I challenge you tonight to pray pray in the Holy Ghost tonight let your heart turn to desperation oh God we need you Lord, make us pure tonight. God, make us pure tonight. Strip away the ambition. Strip away the pride tonight. Holy Ghost, take it. we give it to you we confess it tonight and God we thank you we are delivered we are free we're free from every wrong motive God we're free from every weight we're free from wrong mindsets God we're free from the bondages of religion tonight that it bound us and contained
contaminated us from sincerity and humility and purity. That God denied our hearts are clean. That our hands are washed. That tonight, Father, we shall ascend by the mercy and grace of our Father. That holy hill. God, we will become habitations dwelling places that we will be a generation that wear your fragrance that we will be a generation that bears your image Lord that we will be a generation that it becomes the body of Christ that you died for that we will become the influencers and not the influenced that God you would raise up the voices of influence and change in our nation God, you would raise up more than a generation of revivalists, but you would raise a generation of believers that manifest your kingdom. A generation of reformers. Raise them up in this altar tonight, God. Raise them up. A generation that bear the testimony of you that they are men and women after your own heart. generation of people that know where the secret place is that know how to have that know how to have intimacy in their homes like they have intimacy in the church that they know how to pray in their in their prayer closet like they know how to pray in the altar of the church and that God that ministry becomes the overflow of the intimacy that they have with you the God ministry is not a burden the things of God are no longer a weight but it becomes the joy 